Well, good morning, everyone. John, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm delighted to open God's Word with you today. This month, during the month of January, we've been in a series we've called Flourish, where we've been talking about how we live and love like Jesus. Jesus said, I came that people might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full, that people might flourish. You go to any bookstore and you'll see countless titles about how to have a good life, a successful life, the best life. Researchers at Harvard University's Human Flourishing Program have identified four pathways that lead to a flourishing life. The way they define human flourishing is this, it's a state in which all aspects of a person's life are good. And the four pathways that lead to this kind of life, according to their work, include family. Family is foundational for human flourishing. Both are family of origin, and if if we're married, the family that we're a part of as adults, a key component to a flourishing life. Another pathway is work. Those researchers say that people who have meaningful work in their life across a variety of of vocations are more likely to experience happiness and satisfaction. Education also is a pathway to human flourishing, which doesn't mean you have to be highly educated, but you do need to be a lifelong learner, able to adapt to an ever-changing world and new experiences and able to gain new insight. And then, what I think is fascinating, Harvard identifies the fourth pathway to flourishing as being part of an experience like this, a religious community. Isn't that interesting? That according to the leading social scientists in the world, one of the ways to experience the good life is being part of a church. Harvard's researchers indicate that those who attend religious services at least weekly are about 30% less likely to die over a 10 to 20 year follow-up. One interesting aspect of, of what they found in their research is that it seems to be tied directly to service attendance rather than simply religious or spiritual identity or private practices. It's service attendance that most strongly predicts health. So if you made some New Year's health resolutions this year, you might include attending church more regularly. It's good for you. I know you've done some crazy things to be healthy. Maybe coming to church would be the next crazy thing that you do. They also tell us that those who attend religious services regularly are more likely to report higher levels of happiness. Now, we all know that no church is perfect. And in fact, there are churches and faith communities that have hurt and harmed people. Some of us who are here today have experienced that. There are unhealthy and healthy churches. Churches that fail, and also churches 
that flourish. And so today, I want to show you from the Bible a faith community that flourished. So if you have yours with you, would you open your Bible with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians is in the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul, and we are going to begin reading in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Do you ever get to a text like this in the Bible that has a list of names and just sort of skim over it? Am I the only one? You think, I'm, I'm not really sure who these people are, what this has to do with me. So I'd like to slow down in this text today. And as we do, discover together five factors of a flourishing church. Paul wrote the letter to the Colossian church about 10 years after he was living and preaching in nearby Ephesus. Epiphras, who was mentioned there and we'll talk a little bit more about later, was from Colossae. He came to Ephesus and he heard Paul preach. He believed in Jesus, became one of his followers, and then returned to his hometown in Colossae and shared what he had learned from Paul. And the Colossian church began. Paul writes this letter to them from a prison in Rome. And part of his purpose in writing was to encourage these new Christians about how to live and love like their savior, Jesus. Paul had his friend Tychicus deliver the letter to them. It says in verse 7, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. Tychicus, I assume his friends called him Tick. He was a close friend of Paul's. Paul refers to him as his beloved brother. It's good for us to remember 
that what unites us as a part of a church is not just that we have a common spiritual interest, not that we go to a place together on a weekly or monthly basis, but that we are a part of a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, which is so much more than simply a community of people with like-minded beliefs. And if you are a part of God's family, you, along with Tychicus, are beloved. Not just by the other people in this room, but by God himself. God loves you so much that he sent his son for you. He loves you so much that even when you were sinning and separated from God, his son Jesus died for you. God loves you so much that when you believed in Jesus, he transferred you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Have you ever thought that the one and only Son of God is called Beloved, and so are you. You are a beloved sister or brother. And this beloved brother, Tychicus, delivered the letter to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, and the letter to Philemon. Tychicus was frequently mentioned in Paul's letters. Here in Colossians, in his letters to Titus and Timothy, in the letter to the Ephesians, where Paul says something similar about why he had sent Tychicus to them as well. He says that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. This is the first factor of a flourishing church. The flourishing church thrives on encouragement. An encourager is someone who helps us, who spurs us on, who inspires others. And how good is it to be encouraged? Here's what Proverbs says. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Isn't that true? It lifts your spirits when someone encourages you. Encouraging words are like the lifeblood of a flourishing church. We've probably also experienced the opposite. How discouraging words dispirits the church. Anyone ever worked for a critical boss? Like there's nothing that kills morale like someone who's just constantly critical or negative or never tells you the good work that you're doing. Grumbling, criticism, negativity, it doesn't help. But the flourishing church thrives on encouragement. Encouraging words can transform a person's life. I read this week about a young woman from England named Paige Hunter who was considering taking her own life at a bridge in England. Two people intervened, saved her, and since then Paige has made it her mission to write handwritten notes of encouragement and place them on that same bridge. And she has been recognized by the police in that area for her work, and they have noted that she has saved, to their count, at least six lives 
of people who otherwise were considering taking their life and then a simple handwritten card from someone they've never met stopped. Encouraging words can transform a person's life, change their trajectory, and we need them for our church to flourish. Along with Tychicus was Onesimus. He's in verse nine. He is also called a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. And Tychicus and Onesimus, Paul says, will tell you of everything that has taken place back in Rome. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. There are two names in these verses that I want you to notice, Onesimus and Mark, because both of them had experienced significant failures prior to this. And those failures were probably well known amongst the church. And yet, Paul says to the church, I want you to welcome them. Onesimus, he says, is one of you. They were forgiven. And so the second factor of a flourishing church is that it's filled with forgiveness. It's one of the foundational realities of the church. We have been forgiven. And so we too ought to be lavish in our forgiveness. Harvard's researchers say that those who attend religious services are 87% more likely to have high levels of forgiveness than those who don't. There's been other interesting research too about forgiveness. Scientists have observed what they call conciliatory behavior in many different animal species. The bulk of the research has been on primates like gorillas and chimps who often follow confrontations with friendly behavior like embracing or even kissing. Scientists have observed similar behaviors in non-primates like goats and hyenas. The only species that has so far failed to show outward signs of reconciliation, you'll love this, domestic cats. So don't be like a cat. But the forgiveness that Paul encourages the church in Colossae to extend to these men was significant. These weren't small grievances that he was asking them to overlook. Onesimus was a former slave of Philemon. Now slavery was common in most cultures in the ancient world and different in many ways than the horrors of the slave trade of the 18th and 19th centuries. Now, while there were undoubtedly injustices that existed, most and many uh, first century slaves were more like household servants employed by their master, some willingly. For many, it was a pathway out of poverty. Onesimus was likely this kind of slave. And for reasons we don't know, earlier in his life, he had fled from Philemon and perhaps stole from him. He eventually found his way to the Apostle Paul who led him to faith in Jesus. And then Paul wrote a letter to Philemon 
personally urging him to receive Onesimus back as a brother in Christ, no longer as his slave, to forgive him. Philemon lived in Colossae and was a part of the church there. So when the church received this letter, they would have known about Onesimus. They would have known his story, his past. He was, in the first century, considered a criminal who had defrauded one of their members and friends. And Paul says of him, he is one of you. Onesimus is forgiven and free. Mark had a falling out with Paul himself. During one of their missionary journeys together, they were traveling companions, Mark deserted Paul. And then they separated and Paul thought it was unwise for Mark to continue on in the work with him. And then at some point, between that moment, which is told to us in the book of Acts, and this moment, they reconciled. Paul was able to forgive Mark and get over what must have felt like a deep personal betrayal. And then to encourage the church to welcome Mark. This is the man who wrote the biography of Jesus that we call the Gospel of Mark. How thankful are we today that Paul was able to forgive him? You even think of the Apostle Paul, who before he had had this supernatural encounter with Jesus, had ordered the execution of early Christians. He ravaged the church. And yet Paul is welcomed as a brother, as a leader, as someone who the early church looks to for guidance and teaching. We all have our own stories and history too that have happened in the past and that undoubtedly will happen in the future. And forgiveness is like the fertile soil that allows a healthy church to grow and thrive. And we want our church to be a place where each of us and for people who come into our church can experience a similar kind of lavish forgiveness. Imagine for a moment that someone who walked through these doors had defrauded you, had deserted you, turned their back on you, caused deep damage to you or a loved one. What would you do? Here's what Paul encouraged the church in Colossae to do in chapter three. He says, this is the way we live and love like Jesus. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together in perfect harmony. I wonder if anyone comes to our minds now as we think about who in our own personal lives might need forgiveness. Okay, third, verse 12. Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. 
The flourishing church matures through prayer. Epiphras was a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. As we said, a native of Colossae. He preached the gospel to the city and to Laodicea and to Hierapolis. And he kept Paul updated about what was happening. And he was in prison with Paul at the time the letter to Philemon was written. And so in addition to being the founding member of their church and the one who had initially preached the gospel to them, the one who had taught them and pastored them, Epaphras prayed for his brothers and sisters at Colossae. He prayed that they might grow deeper in their faith. This is one of our commitments as a church, that we are a people who are committed to prayer in faith. We believe that God accomplishes his will through our prayers. And we've seen God do amazing things through the prayers of his people. I got a text earlier this week from a friend who said to me, out of the blue, hey John, I wanted to let you know that eight years ago today, my wife and I prayed for Thomas as the new campus pastor in Erie. Five years ago today, we prayed for your wife, Lindsay, and her work at Medtronic. And two years ago today, we prayed for Greg, who was retiring. This couple keeps a prayer journal they have for 20 years. They're able to go back every day and see who they prayed for eight years ago, five years ago, two years ago. And then to celebrate together the work that God has done in the lives of those people. How amazing and intentional is that? Like we need more of that. More commitment to, as we saw earlier, continuing steadfastly in prayer, faithfully, lifting up the needs that exist here amongst us, praying for each other, and then seeing what God does. I love that Paul says about Epaphras that he prays that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That's what he's praying for. That his brothers and sisters would grow in their knowledge of Jesus. That they would grow in maturity. That they would be able to stand through the trials that they face. Prayer has been a critical part of the history of our church. We've been in Boulder for 135 years this year. Just imagine for a moment the numbers of prayers that have been spoken in 135 years. That's amazing. 50 years ago, a group of men decided they needed to pray here at the church because at that time, our church was located at Broadway and Balsam. And there was a growing sense that we were outgrowing that space and we might need to move to a new location to accommodate future growth here in our city. So that group of men began to pray. And then there was some property out on the prairie in, on Calmia Avenue that became available. And they said, boy, that's pretty far out of town. I wonder if we should go there. And they asked the Lord to guide them. And the church decided to buy this property and then to build this building with a group of volunteers. And they kept praying, and they didn't stop even after the building was built. 
And in fact, they've continued to meet weekly for the last 50 years. Praying for our church, week in and week out. For your prayer requests that you submit on the blue card in front of you. For our needs, for our church to grow in maturity. For our elders and pastors and staff. There's so much that has happened at our church in the last 50 years. And I can say without a doubt in my mind that anything good that has happened in the last 50 years is because of men like Doug Palmer and Del Elliott and Pat Patrick and Bob Johnson and Corky Shields and others who have gathered together faithfully for 50 years to pray for you and to pray for God to be at work amongst us. Prayer is the catalyst for spiritual growth in the church. And I'm so thankful for so many of you who labor in prayer for our church. It matters. It makes a difference. This might be a way for some of you to make an eternal impact in the life of what happens here and in the life of another. To commit to be in prayer for someone. To write it down. See what God does. Follow up with them. Ask God to help. And if you need prayer today, I would encourage you to grab that blue card, fill it out, let us know, drop it in the boxes in the lobbies as you leave. The pastors and elders and faithful men will pray for you this week. The flourishing church matures through prayer. It also grows by generosity. Look at verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha opened her home in Colossae so that the church could meet there. Without many women like her who opened their homes, the early church wouldn't have grown. They didn't have buildings like this one in the first century to meet in, and so people opened their homes. Now, we read that phrase and kind of gloss over it, read it quickly, but think about that for a moment. How would you like to host church in your home today? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there were less people back in the first century than might gather here this morning. But it wouldn't have only been inconvenient at times to host the church in your home in the first century. At that time, it was dangerous, life-threatening. Most of the names we've read today, according to church tradition, were martyred, killed because they believed in Jesus. And opening your home at that time unquestionably would have made you a target. Just like opening your home in certain parts of the world today still will make you a target. And so for Nympha, my guess is it was a significant personal sacrifice to open her home. Maybe for her reputation, maybe for the reputation of her family. Perhaps put her life at risk. You know, most people in the first century didn't earn a salary. And so, especially 
For the wealthy members of the church, one of the ways that they could be generous was to open their home. Many people didn't have an established place like that where people could gather. And so their home was one of their most strategic resources as it continues to be for us today. And I love the way that so many of you open your home for ministry, for life groups and Bible studies and the young adults and hosting people, having people stay with you. I think of one family who has opened their home to, their, to our high school and middle school ministry for years and countless events have happened there. You wanna talk about danger? Think about having 40 middle schoolers over to your house. And whether it's with our home or our apartment or other resources or our finances or our time, we all have a part to play in helping the church grow through generosity. It's because of people like Nympha in the first century that we sit here today, 2,000 years later, in Boulder, Colorado, worshiping Jesus. Because giving pays the way for future growth. And I can tell you personally that the best financial investment Lindsay and I have made in our marriage, without question, has been investing in the kingdom of God. Both here at Calvary and around the world. There's nothing like investing in the work that God is doing. You might be at a place where you say, I need a little help in my financial situation before I could even make that kind of investment. After church today, we're starting a class called Financial Peace, where you can learn about some of the biblical foundations for how you might consider managing your money, organizing yourself so that you could become a more generous person in all the ways that God is calling you to. Generosity is like the fuel that accelerates growth in the church. And because of the faithfulness and generosity of God's people at Calvary, we are privileged to minister in this city in our time. The flourishing church grows by generosity. You know, Colossians 4 isn't the only place where Paul lists his fellow servants and ministers he does it in so many of his letters. He was surrounded by people in his ministries. Sometimes I think we think of Paul as sort of like a lone ranger who just kind of went where he wanted and he was free and didn't have a lot of people around him, but that's not the case at all. He constantly had traveling companions. He was amazing at raising up leaders. And that's sort of our final factor, that the flourishing church multiplies through teamwork. The church in Colossae had a mission to reach their city in the first century. And because of some of the people we've read about today, their church flourished and they were able to reach people and grow and multiply. And similarly, we have a mission today here in Boulder that God is calling us to. And the way our church will continue to multiply is through a similar kind of teamwork by all of us engaging in the ways that God has called us to minister as a part of his church. Each of us in this room are uniquely gifted for this common pursuit that God has called us to. Ours today is this, that we are building Christ-centered communities of people who are fully devoted to loving God and loving others. Friends, a person who is fully devoted to loving God and loving other people, they live a flourishing life.
And our call is to build communities that are centered around Jesus, that help people to love God and love others with their whole hearts. If there was a letter written to Calvary Bible Church today, I wonder whose names would be in there. What we might be commended for. What would be the factors that help us flourish today? This is how Paul closes this section in verse 17. He says, And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Each one of us here has a ministry. We all have a part to play in helping the church to flourish. What's yours? If you're not sure, we would love to help you find that and discover how you might jump in and serve and contribute and be a part of what God is doing here in our church as we seek to reach the city of Boulder. That blue card that I've mentioned is a great way for you to communicate with us. If you have questions, if we can help you, if we can help you find your place, we'd love to do that. Because we want to be a church that flourishes, that helps people find salvation in Jesus and to live and love like him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am deeply thankful for our church. For the many people who encourage and pray and give and serve and help make this place a beautiful community to be a part of. We pray for your help as we minister, as we serve, as we live out the calling that you've played on each of, laid on each of our lives and that you've called us to today. And Jesus, we pray for our city, for the needs that exist here, we know that without you, Jesus, no matter how successful, no matter how comfortable, no matter how healthy a person is, they are not experiencing the abundant life. So we pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would continue to enable us to reach people who are far from you, to share the forgiveness of Jesus that we have experienced with others, to share the love of God that they may not even know about. And we pray, God, for more people to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and King. We ask all of this in his name. Amen.